something crazy last night. And I do want to just be completely open and honest. Yes, I did cocaine twice last week, but I did zero cocaine preceding the event that I'm about to describe. Five, four, three, two, one. Hi. Welcome to the agency. This is Candy Minx in Chicago. <laughs> hey there, Candy Minx. This is Eugene Napic in Toronto. For the agency, a new episode of our weekly podcast. Yes, our weekly podcast where we keep forgetting to do season one, season two, season three. <laughs> that's it. And we're into where I, I think we might be at like 160 some. I know that's insane episodes i don't know how we've done that and somehow we haven't missed an episode i know and maybe we'll do something like we'll we'll finally have season one and we'll start season two when we're in the mood but we don't have to follow rules i mean come on who needs rules who needs rules we got enough of those hey what a fucking shitty week in the news with salman rushdie that was very sad but at least he's alive he survived his attack yeah. Um, it's pretty scary, scary people out there. Yeah. And then you've got Anne Heche passing away. You've got Dave Chappelle being locked out of one of his venues. They had to switch venues. Um, How, why you know, did he get we, locked out of his venue? Um, well, I haven't got the whole implications, but basically the venue he was at was where Purple Rain was filmed, I think. And there were about 50 people protesting his show. So they had to move the venue, be- mainly because the concert, the venue was afraid of dealing with that that struggle of getting him in and getting the, the paying customers in. Hmm. You know, I mean, this is the thing. We've got, we've got, you know, I see them as parallels to me, obviously not half as serious as Salman Rushdie, but this idea of um, censoring people and preventing them from having ex- creative expression. Oh, yeah, I support the, the, the protesters could support it, could, could protest if they want. Absolutely. Right? I, I, I want the freedom of speech, right? Absolutely. Um, but it's another thing. I don't know the circumstances around him being locked out of his venue. That's a little bit, uh, well, I a little think bit scary. The, yeah, the venue people were afraid of, confer- uh, they were afraid of dealing with it. They felt they were not prepared to deal with the events surrounding the show that night. So they moved, they, uh, moved the show to another venue. That was oh, better see. equipped with security, I suppose. Um, you know, and I mean, I, listen, I, you know, I love Dave Chappelle. I, I support him having his freedom and his creative expression. Um, I think, you know, what I'm thinking of Kathy Griffin, too, when she did, um, she posed for an artist who I don't think he got censored, but Kathy Griffin did. She got completely a gossip campaign against her when she posed as, um, how shall I say, is it Judith? It's a famous icon of paintings. It's in many, many paintings of a woman holding a headless man, the man of a head, the head of a man, right? And it's a huge art tradition in Western art. And um, she got slammed for it. I don't know if the, the guy who did the photo got slammed. I think he probably carried on with his career. But Kathy Griffin's career got very stalled. She had posed with a, a a facsimile of Donald Trump in her hands being severed and people went nuts. They just went crazy. They just couldn't handle it. 
And I remember posting on my blog and on Facebook all the famous pictures of women holding the head of a, a is it Saul, is it Judith and Holifer? Holifrers? I can't say his name. I'm going to butcher it. But very famous paintings of women decapitating men. <laughs> a topic I love. <laughs> okay. Um, so, you know, I mean, it's just, we're in a real struggle. This is again, when art becomes elite, paintings are too expensive, art's too expensive, it becomes separated from the regular person, average people, average income. I don't know how I would portray that. Uh, less art education, less study, less passion. And um, now you're gonna have all these people complaining about art. And it's wrong to point our finger at uh, just fundamentalist fundamentalist from one religion you can find fundamentalism in every genre <laughs> every group True that yeah <laughs> but i'm so glad to hear that salman rushdie his son said that his injuries are life altering so they are going to compromise his previous life um you know it's shocking all these years later it was such a big story for us when we were young you know, the Salman Rushdie and, and it yeah. came up with so many, you know, you're at a party and you just can't help but think about it and talk about it. Yeah, I um, think at some point he like stopped hiding and stopped having security details and all well, of that sort of stuff. I don't know why he stopped doing that. It's a shame. Uh, he should never have stopped because with fundamentalists, uh, the, you know, when you corrupt a principle, when you take a fundamentalism is a literal application of a principle. And once you've hit that part and you're not self-reflecting on what you're doing, you're not really communicatable. So it's never going to stop. Um, and a fatwa cannot be rescinded once a person dies who um, ordered it. And Khomeini died you know, a few months after he ordered that. So that's never going to stop. Um, apparently two weeks ago, two weeks before the attack, Salman Rushdie had been in an interview and said, oh, my life is almost normal now. Ugh. Ugh. Just, mm. just terrible. But yes, I'm so glad you make the best point that he seems to have come out of it. And then Anne Hesh, someone who I found a very back to the 90s again, uh, time travel, she was a big actress in the 90s, but she, I mean, she had a long career. She's been working all these years, but um, she's somebody I was very fond of and always had a public struggle with mental health issues. And um, what a terrible story this week that she's taken her life and um, and in such a tragic circumstances, crashing into someone's house. So I kind of yeah, found myself- very, very, uh, very sad. Very sad. I found myself- concerned about the woman who lived in the house. And I guess she has said she's sending love out, which I thought was really incredible of her. Um, her name is um, Lynn Michelle. And um, I guess the landlords of the building have raised a hundred thousand or almost $200,000 on a GoFundMe. I think people in Hollywood should get this woman a new house and just help her out, you know, just do something about it. Well, I would presume that her house insurance will will cover um, having someone crashing into your house. Yeah, yeah. I would hope. And I'm hoping they raise the money for her. Um, very sad story. Yeah, so that's it. Well, on a lighter note. Yeah, let's do it. Crisis. Let's go to a lighter note. On a, I had another crisis this week. Oh. You know, last week I had the crisis related to my neighbor 
uh, laying a huge bag of plums on me. And I, I had to, I had to make chutney. It was, uh, it was a hard job, but I got through it. Right. Well, I had another crisis. So many hot chilies in my garden came ripe at the same time. Oh my gosh. What was I going to do? Make chili sauce? Well, my first thought was dry them. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, because I have a dehydrator. I could just dry them and then crush them up and have um, chili flakes, which is a pretty good solution. And I may yet do that with some, but I decided, hey, I think I'm going to ferment these chilies and make a fermented chili sauce. I've never done that before, but <laughs> I was uh, armed with the success of my chutney, which was yeah. yummy and delicious. Uh, so I thought I would venture into the strange world of lacto-fermentation. Lacto-fermentation. So yes. that would be the sugar inside of the plants or something? Um, all vegetables have... Um, A substance uh, on it, which uh, which when fermented turns to lactic acid. Oh, and um, what happens is, um, <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> well, it's, I didn't know anything about this. Okay, <sighs> so I thought, okay, it's fermented. Yeah. So it's the same as fish sauce. That yeah. was my first thought because okay. I like fish sauce, and if you think, well, fish sauce, it's kind of funky because it's fermented, and you get like kimchi, it's kind of funky because it's fermented, mm -hmm. but no, 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 they're not the same. Fish sauce uh, operates on um, enzymes. Oh. So you want to promote um, a certain kind of enzyme that comes from fish guts. So okay. they use anchovies, and um, they, they ferment the anchovies using some kind of enzyme process, not the same as lacto-fermentation. Lacto-fermentation uh, can be done with any vegetable. And so it's the process by which you make kimchi, you make sauerkraut, you make chili uh, hot sauce, um, and dill pickles, New York-style dill pickles. Um. <laughs> so it's the same kind of deal. What's oh, happening okay. is... This particular kind of bacteria um, is the lactobacillus. And um, one of the interesting characteristics of the lactobacillus bacteria is that it can tolerate a salty environment. Okay. But nasty bacteria, or at least nasty to humans bacteria, can't tolerate a salty environment. Okay. So if you ferment... Um, the chilies using salt, it will promote this lactobacillus and it converts sugars from the vegetables into lactic acid, which is a natural preservative. Okay. So we're doing to chilies the very same thing as uh, you do with dill pickles. Okay. You make dill pickles. Interesting. Um, and so it's not a canning process. It's a fermenting um, process. It's a fermenting process. Yeah. So I'm going to be um, I'm going to be pouring it when it's ready. Um, and I have to once the, the chilies are fermented, and I also have garlic fermenting, I have to oh, blend yeah. them all up. Uh -huh. And I may add some honey as well, make it a little more like a sriracha. 
Nice. Um, then I'm going to pour it into squeeze bottles and you keep them in the fridge. Oh my God. Uh, and because you're not pasteurizing. Do we need to the, open a store? <laughs> well, what happens is that the, fer the fermentation isn't going to stop. Like so, kimchi, when you open the jar, it pops out. That's exactly right. The, when you when you put it into the fridge, the fermentation slows down, but it still ferments. <laughs> yeah. And so um, you put it in the, the squeeze bottle so it's not going to blow up a jar. Okay. Uh, and you could stop the fermentation by essentially pasteurizing it, which mm -hmm. means that you take the, the hot sauce and you would boil it for a while. Yeah. Um, but the problem with doing that, I mean, it works. And essentially, you could can your uh, fermented hot sauce and it would last for a long time. But one of the benefits of the fermentation process, which the entire subculture of, of fermentation freaks out there would tell you, is that it, pr it promotes uh, healthy bacteria in your gut. And right. it's really good for you. And it, some people think it'll prevent cancers and diseases. And, um, you know, if you like, if you eat enough fermented, lacto-fermented vegetables and um, have like reishi tea at the same time, man, you might just live forever. <laughs> yeah. But I don't want to live forever. However, an extra year or two, I would be okay, yeah. probably okay with. Yeah. So anyway, what I did was I, I got a big jar. I, I started with a, a clean sterilized jar and um, I made a brine that is uh, one and a quarter teaspoons of fine sea salt for every cup of water. Mm -hmm. And people who are really good at this would scoff at this measurement at this ratio. <laughs> and they would say, you have to weigh it uh -huh. uh, as well. There is a whole subculture, as I mentioned of, uh, lacto fermentation freaks out there yeah. and they're related to the brewing freaks <laughs> and I admire them all by the way yeah, yeah. Um, and they've got gear you can get gear for this <sighs> you could get special containers to ferment in and you could get them with a lid that has a, a one-way valve and you put water in the valve and it lets gas bubble out of your fermenting uh, mixture but no air to get in and the other problem, the challenge with, with this kind of fermentation is you have to keep the vegetables submerged in the brine. So there, there is available a selection of weights, glass weights, which have only one purpose, and that is to hold down vegetables for fermentation. <laughs> Who knew? There's all yeah. this stuff that's available. Because in our world, one thing you can be sure of is that for every obscure hobby, there is gear. Oh, yeah. And a magazine, too. There used There's to be probably a magazine, a magazine <laughs> at least a website and blogs, yeah. I mean, and no people who know more than you do about it. Yes. Yes, which is a great thing. And we love to, um, primates like to get very um, skilled at their, at their favorite things. Yeah. It's just something that primates like to do. <laughs> so, I mean, what's going to save me here is that this process promotes good bacteria and, and good. kills off bad bacteria. Lovely. Uh, so it's, it's less likely that I'll poison anybody. Yeah. Well, you uh, know, I, a good thing. I talked about fermenting a few months ago. I was fermenting honey for my favorite 
for a restaurant in Nashville I love called Butcher and Bee, and they have an appetizer with whipped feta and fermented honey. So of course I had to try making it at home because it was so how, delicious. How long did you ferment the honey for? About six days. Interesting. Five to six days. And what you do is you take some nice organic honey and throw in some garlic bulbs, peeled, peeled garlic. So and you're not using a brine? Nope. Uh, using garlic. That's it. Garlic, huh? Period. The story. Isn't that cool? Very cool. And I just put it in a mason jar. Now, I wonder if that's the same process. Is that lacto-fermentation? I did Because I think you need salt for lacto-fermentation. I didn't do any Googling or or research at all. (laughs) Sans Googling? Yeah, I just knew that. I I just found out how to ferment honey was put some garlic in it in a mason jar, a sterilized jar. So that's all I did. I didn't do any backstory. (laughs) I was in a hurry. I could hardly wait the five, six days to make my whipped feta. Well, and you know, some cucumbers. When, when you make your hot sauce, and yeah. after five, six, seven days, whatever, yeah. uh, if that's as, as long as you're going to ferment it, and you put it in the fridge, it's going to slowly ferment some more. And as it does, uh, the flavor gets um, uh, more, I've been told, sophisticated. Okay, I, I think that's, that's the right great, word. Yeah, that's a good word. Elevated, sophisticated. I think those are the trendy words for. Um, um, but you can get away with as, you know a week but you know i was watching some of the the, the videos on the youtube machine because you want to learn to do anything yeah. you know you just go onto youtube and there's people who are very good at it and there's people who do hot sauce for three to six months fermenting wow yeah before that's uh, before a jarring long it up. time and wow. and they say that that's three months is the optimal for wow. uh, for wow. the most sophisticated flavor. Are you going to aim for any of that, or uh, I'm aiming for a week. A week. Okay. I'm a very impatient right. man. You know yeah. this. You know this to be yeah, true. That's After true. about a week, I'm I'm gonna uh, blend the blend that stuff up. Yeah. I hope. Uh, but there is an, an indicator. What you look for is uh, the color to change on the chilies. Okay. Does it go to get a dark red? Uh, no, they get paler. Oh. Oh. And that's an indication that the uh, the fermentation has been happening. Oh, very nice. Can you hear a, I hope you can't, hear a jackhammer in the background? <laughs> no. Good, good. Only I can hear it. Like a, um, you know, giant robotic woodpecker over there. <laughs> All right. Well, good. So I will be reporting. I love it. I can't wait to hear about it. And and Um, and hopefully it's good. I'm sure it will come out amazing. It's Um, terribly, terribly hungry. I've I've thought about making kimchi. The problem is if I buy a container of kimchi from the nice lady up the street who makes like the best kimchi around, it takes me, I mean, how much kimchi could a guy eat in a day? It takes a while to get through a container of kimchi. It does. It does. I have a great recipe I like making. I, I probably, and I make it uh, almost a whole jar. I don't remember my measurements now, but I take a head of cauliflower and you saute that with fish oil. And at some point, a whole bunch of kimchi and bacon. Got to get the bacon in there. And... Um, Oh my God, just a delicious uh, dinner. And right. I mean, uh, and then you, against bacon. I know. And then you throw an egg in at the last second when you're heating it up, of course, before you serve it, or a couple of eggs, depending how much. For me, I guess it would be a couple of eggs if I was making it for three or four people, 
Oh, it's so good. So definitely I could eat a jar of kimchi like that. Great. Over a couple of days. <laughs> That's crazy, right? Cauliflower and kimchi. That's like the cruciferous forest of deliciousness. I love it. Yeah. Um, you know, speaking of the YouTube machine and, and you want to learn mm -hmm. something, I've taken a couple of my classes now for sewing. How's it going? Oh my Tell me god! All how does that? How is it structured? How do you do the class? Oh, is there well, like is there like fifty people with sewing machines in there? No, there's like eight of us. There's a restricted oh, okay. number of people in the in the class, and there's several tables, eight tables, and okay. you, you open them up so that they you there's a sliding thing. You open them up so they're massive, and inside is a sewing machine that can comes up and levitates up but i brought my sewing machine so we took the old the one from the lessons out it's in a sewing store it's called singer distributor center or something it sounds it's a very uh boring name for quite a delightful store where several people are teaching different classes like sewing and uh quilting and you can buy a, a fancy sewing machine there too, if you want, or just an ordinary one. And well, I think that's the idea is they teach you how to be a good <laughs> enough sewer that you can afford to, or you feel you need to buy their fancy well, sewing machine. Well, perhaps I think it, it that that probably would be a, a good long-term plan. I think they're like uh, Warren Buffett. They are compounding their real estate. They're getting money in from many different areas. And some of the women might work there in the daytime as clerks and they also can teach this woman's been sewing since she was 12 nancy she's absolutely delightful i'm sure she does not suffer fools and i really like her very very much um i would say very classic midwestern attitude towards life and she has all kinds of little sayings and and things and she's just just no nonsense so we all get to our tables i got there horrendously early as you can imagine i'm like you that way i just yes. got eager beaver <laughs> and i'm glad i did because i got to set up and take my time and i was a little bit behind so i got to catch up with cutting out my pattern and um she basically checks out where everybody's at she seems to kind of understand um she's signed um she assigned certain patterns uh that you could choose which one you wanted to do and they're super simple uh it's it's beginner and intermediate and I would say there wasn't really anyone super intermediate, but certainly people who had sewn before. And um, I brought my own machine in because for me, the machine is the issue. I need to learn on that thing. I, I, I don't want to learn. And on was that okay machine. for them? To oh, yeah. No, no, it's totally recommended. Oh, you, okay. The option is to somebody else brought in their machine as well. And uh, so that was just fine. Anyway, I learned so many tricks on the machine and straight. I have been threading it wrong. So now I'm, I had threaded it wrong and filled up my bobbin wrong. Now I have it correct. It's amazing. I have been sewing like a motherfucker because nothing's <laughs> holding me back. <laughs> nothing's holding me back because I'm not intimidated to change the color of the thread. Like sometimes I'd be like, I do line up my projects with color of thread so that I sew a bunch of stuff using the same thread color. Then I'll change the thread and bobbin and do the other colors. Do you know what I mean? Yep just so I don't have to change it. But I actually am not even, I'm really not put out to suddenly fill up the bobbin and change it and change the thread. I cannot believe I feel that comfortable. Sometimes with something that's a little bit technical, it just takes someone who knows what they're doing to just show you. <laughs> yes, yes. And I had oh, done- Oh, like that. Yeah, like that. Yeah, I just had done, I had lost in translation a couple of things. 
and I'm back on it. And then she has this saying, don't think, rethread. She said it all over and over again in class. Don't think, rethread. And she's right. It doesn't matter why it's not working. Just stop, take it out and rethread the machine and it'll work. Wow. Because sometimes things jam. Sometimes things get locked. It's a tension or it's not coming out of the machine properly. It's something, who knows? Don't think, don't think about it. <laughs> rethread. <laughs> I don't need to know why it didn't work. I thought I was going into this, like, please tell me why this isn't working. So I'll avoid that. That's, that's not the issue. Just rethread it. Just make sure it's threaded properly. You'll probably be fine. Mm -hmm. um, obviously different fabrics react differently. She kind of talked about that. I mean, there was so much information. I, I really did work on my own, just sewing the pants and she would, I sewed a pair of uh, pajama bottoms, cut them out. And, and then you had to do this, you have to follow the pattern. So you're looking at the pattern. You're also really learning about using a pattern. I had no interest in following a pattern. <laughs> That's not why I'm sewing. I'm sewing to make my own collection of beachwear, <laughs> which I already feel like I'm well into. I sent you pictures. I'm hoping to share. So are you planning on doing this without making a pattern first? Well, you I have my own improvise your sewing? I made my pattern. I made it myself. Right. It's a very simple pattern, and I can build on it very simply. It's not a compliment, com, complicated. But in the future, yes, I will create some, if I feel like I'm going to go into more um, refined, or what was the word? Sophisticated. <laughs> um fitted and really sophisticated would be fitted in a different way this is like beachwear so it, it does it's supposed to be loose and baggy and cozy um i thought beachwear was like speedos and bikinis no 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 that that would be part of it too for sure but i'm not making bikinis. i, mean, I don't know i rarely go to beaches i know so i don't I, I don't have a lot of first-hand beach experience well, i am from that i'm from beach culture so beach culture you want comfy cozy after you've been swimming you want to put some making basically caftans or beach wraps once you get out of the water, you want to put this on and it keeps you comfortable and also isn't too hot, but also can warm you up. It's It's got to have some uh, little variables that have to do with swimming, okay, and being outside and whether or not there's a fire pit or not. So all of those things are involved and being comfortable and being able to be washed. And my other stipulation is natural fibers. Um, I accidentally bought some that weren't 100% natural and I'm using them anyway, but I don't like them, but somebody else might. So I'm almost ready to reveal my collection. Right. <laughs> I've got I've got some models set up for this afternoon after we do our podcast and we're going to take some more pictures and then I probably right. am going to put them on social media. All right. Anyway, so the sewing and how are you going to fantastic. how are you going to move these units? I don't are, know. I don't know yet. Will have people have to like order up a custom one or is it one size uh, well, it's fits all? Be ready made. And also I suppose someone could say that they needed a, a size difference. They could, but they're very, very loose fitting, uh, barely garments. That would be too strong a term. <laughs> you know, um, we started buying uh, bibs for George, our Newfoundland dog. See, that would be a great thing uh, to make. From uh, someone who's in Australia uh, oh because, God. well, someone actually makes these things they recognize the unique need yes um, that some dogs need bibs and she makes them in small medium large extra large and george's size which is supreme <laughs> yeah supreme <laughs> that's hilarious wow so there's a market to be made in north america without shipping from australia duly noted <laughs> yeah i may have to make dog, dog bibs, bibs. 
Uh, I took yeah, one for so the team this week. You did? I took one for the team. I watched a basketball movie. Oh. Uh, an Adam Sandler basketball movie. On his Netflix? On Netflix? Uh, I guess it's on Netflix. Yeah, he has a contract with Netflix to do produce a number of films. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I've never been much of an, an Adam Sandler fan. I mean, I, I got through The Wedding Singer. I really liked Uncut Gems. Yeah. But I think that was more on the strength of the directors. They really focused him very, very well. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I'll give him credit for that. But anyway, this is uh, this was on, and uh, Adam Sandler plays a unlikely basketball scout who discovers a basketball player in Spain um, and tries to get him uh, in the NBA, but all the big wigs in the NBA don't have his vision and they don't see how wonderful this player is. So he has to go to extraordinary lengths. And then of course they become like bros yeah. and, and Queen Latifah plays his wife. Oh, very interesting casting. I like it. Yeah, I love, I, yeah. I love Adam Sandler. I love him. He's it's, so you funny. know, it's, it's okay. Yeah. That's that's all I could say about yeah. this movie. Yeah. It's okay. It's very watchable because, well, he's watchable. He is. You know? he um, is. It's, he's, it's he's, kind of a friendly movie. Yeah. It's about sports. We, yeah. we like sports, I guess. And, um, <laughs> Is all right. It's I can't say it's good. Okay. But I can't say it's bad. Yeah, either. I wish I'd been able to watch it before uh, the podcast. I kind of got I was sewing so much that uh, you know creating my collection um, that <laughs> I got carried away with sewing and I went to an art show. But anyway, I will watch it soon. Um, maybe also maybe they're not all going to come out as effective as some of his previous movies on Netflix. He's got a, a comedy, like, a, I think it's called something like European mystery or something. And it was pretty cute. Is it going to mm -hmm. save lives? Maybe not. No. Maybe it's That's not what I would say about this one. It's pretty cute. Yeah. And you know, like the, the critics liked it. I went on to the, uh, the oh. Rotten Tomatoes aggregator yeah. and they gave it like a 93%. Oh, and I'm wow. going to tell you a movie's got to be an awful lot better than this one for me to assign it 93%. Well, on any kind of meter, but you know, I'm not saying it's bad. Yeah, how does that work? Isn't it really fans who love it are saying they like it? Doesn't mean that everybody likes it. It means the mm. people like. No, there's there's two. There's, oh. the aggregator works two ways. It has somehow it collects fan likes, yes, uh -huh. um, but it also so it collects audience opinions, but it also um, collects opinions from critical reviews. Oh, right. Okay. So yes. it aggregates reviews. Right. And then on the site, you can click on individual reviews mm -hmm. and you can click on individual audience reviews. So you have two scores. You have the audience score and the critic score. Okay. And sometimes they're wildly different. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Like for science fiction, I don't care about the, uh, the critical reviews. I care about the fans. Sure. You I know, for see certain, that. yeah, because you know, it's just those that's a difficult genre to measure, and uh, it's really got to come from the fans. I think certain things have to come from the fans, uh, certain types of movies. So that's pretty interesting. I, I'll have to see it, I can't wait. Yeah, we also stumbled into a uh, a, a delightful little it's characterized as a documentary, but I'm reluctant to call it a documentary. Oh, uh, I wow. want to call it maybe a poetic documentary. Okay. Okay. Uh -huh. Because documentaries, 
usually have a lot more narrative than this film has. Mm -hmm. The film is called The, the Truffle Hunters. It's directed by Michael Dweck and Gregory Kershaw. 2021, it's an Italian film. It's a beautiful little film. It's set in the Italian Piedmont in the north of, of Italy. And it follows some elderly men and their dogs who hunt for truffles. <laughs> they well, go out in the forest, sometimes at night. Uh, their dogs go out. And the way you hunt for truffles is you wander out into the forest, sometimes at night, with your dog who knows everything. And yes. your dog finds these truffles that are like three feet underground and you and the dog dig like hell until you unearth <laughs> the truffles. And then the truffle hunter has to get the truffles before the dog does. Oh, the dog will eat them? Uh, the, you don't want the dog to damage those truffles in any kind of way. True, true. Because these things go, uh, they go for something like 200 bucks an ounce mm -hmm. for, uh, for white truffles. And as you're following these guys, um, you realize that there's there's a short season. It's a four-month season. Um, there's a set of old rules involving territories. Mm -hmm. And um, you can hunt in your own land, but other land, I guess, is chopped up into these territories based on some kind of tradition. But some people don't respect the old traditions. And they send their dogs out to find truffles in other guys' territories, if you uh -huh. can imagine that. I, I I would think people could die over that. And they poison their they poison dogs, oh. right? To get rid of their opponents' expert dogs. And this film is as much about the dogs as they dogs steal the film. Okay, <laughs> Fiona, Birba, and Titina. They are so delightful. Uh, Birba especially is just the most delightful dog. And when they're not out looking for truffles, this old guy. He's had, they show him having dinner and his dog is on the table and his dog's <laughs> having dinner at the table. I, I he's saw... having dinner and he's talking to the dog and he's talking about what he's going to do with the dog when he dies. He's like, he wants to try to find a family who will look after this dog so this dog can have a really pleasant old age. And there's somebody in the film who wants to buy his dog and is offering him all kinds of money. Mm. And and this guy says, do you have children? And the one guy who wants to buy the dog says, yeah, of course we have children. They're not here right now. Says, well, would you sell your children? How much do you want for your kids? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Fair. So it's a, Fair. this beautiful relationship between this old guy and his dog. And then there's this other old guy named Carlo. He's 87 years old. And his wife's worried about him because he always goes out at night. He goes uh -huh. stumbling through the forest at night. Right. Because he likes to listen to the owls. Mm. Uh, and then it shows the same guys and they're negotiating, selling the truffles. And they always seem to be in some dark alley somewhere. And it's just like the broker and, and the seller. And they have these outrageous negotiations uh, yeah. in terms of the price. And, and they say things like, I know it's expensive, but oh, just the, just the smell, just the smell. <laughs> Um, and then it shows one of the buyers and one of the buyers, uh, I don't know if it's at a restaurant or where, but he's, somebody has presented him with an egg and then comes and is shaving white truffles onto the egg. Oh. Like shaving after shaving after shaving after shaving. Wow. 
Oh yeah, super expensive. Um, so it's a, it's an interesting little story. It doesn't. It's not a heavy-handed story. It just keeps showing you these people yeah. hunting for truffles. And then there's one guy um, named Orello who. No, it's Orello who who has the discussions about about uh, uh, what's going to happen to Berba. Um, what's the name of the other guy? There's another guy um, who has decided he's not going to hunt anymore. Oh. Um, he, uh, I can't remember his name now. I made note of it, but you know my notes. I could hardly read them at the best of times. Yeah. Um, anyway, he's he's disgusted because people are trespassers and they're greedy and they don't yeah. follow the old traditions. So even though he has the best land, yeah, he's not going to hunt and he's not going to allow anyone else to hunt. Wow. Well, and then a, a younger guy approaches one of the older guys. Yeah. And he says, well, you know, when you die, what will happen to your spots? What will happen to your places? You yeah. have to tell somebody, yeah. meaning him, yeah. where, where you where your special places right, are. Right, right. And this guy's like, no, I'm not telling anyone. You know, I watched, I couldn't, I couldn't find it here, but I did watch on YouTube several clips. And one of the clips I saw was that negotiation at a table while they're eating, the young guy and the old guy. And I was quite taken with it because the um the young guy wants him to reveal his hiding places yes. or where he gets truffles. And the old guy goes, no, I, I won't do it. And he refused. I was really fascinated by it because the young guy was very dismissive. I found him revoltingly dismissive because he's like, well, you're not going to be here. It's going to be lost. And don't you believe in tradition? Now, why I didn't like it was because the young guy thinks he can interpret the tradition and to dictate how it should be done, um, that the, the tradition should be saved in the way he wants it to be saved, rather yeah. than the old man, you know damn well his hunting was his own discovery and his own relationship with the dog and dogs probably all his life because he was quite um, up there in age. He, they That's made right. a point. And this guy's sitting there going like, you're going to die tomorrow. Come on, dude. I was like taken aback by that. And I was glad the old man kept saying, I'm not going to tell you because for me, you know, at the temple, at the Buddhist temple, one thing we've come up with and we've noticed over the years is that there's a protocol on how you get initiated into, um, I'm doing research on initiation into magic or um, a mystical tradition, and it is always secret. And it shouldn't be given away because you're supposed to do the hero's journey where you're alienated from your life then you are initiated and it comes on where you realize what the, the initiation is and you're like oh <laughs> okay and then you go back to your regular life and you don't want to do that you have to do it in the context of well let's use the word immersive <laughs> you've got to do it in the process of the initiation in the same way that the old guy he went and hunted for those mushrooms he earned those mushrooms and he knew where they were it's up to the next generation to go and hunt for them themselves that's part of the respect. They want the shortcuts. And that's what the guy who who has stopped hunting truffles, that's what he says. Is yeah. that, oh, does um, he? You, basically, he says nobody respects the traditions anymore. Right. And Everyone just wants the damn truffles. You're right. And the tradition is to, to go on your own 
pilgrimage to find those. It's up to you to do it because you've got to have a relationship with that. And it's the same with the Buddhist initiations and how to get a new minister. We had a bunch of people who want to overthrow it and pick the new minister willy-nilly their own way. And you knew damn well they barely were around in any tradition traditional way at the temple anyway. They certainly didn't seem to be very involved in community practice. And we're like, well, you don't get to say how this is. You're, you're going to come in here with a thousand, 10,000 year old tradition and start saying like, you want the tradition. Well, the tradition is to let go of that aggression and to let go of that um, dictatorship. That is the tradition. The tradition is you go out in the woods with your dog yourself. It's not picking mushrooms isn't the only part of the tradition. And I, I was really fascinated by that conversation. So I do look forward to seeing it. But um, it becomes it becomes really a heightened issue because A, truffles are rare. Yeah. You know, you might only find one or two truffles in a whole night of searching. Mm. Um, but those one or two truffles could net you thousands. Yeah. Yeah, so you've got big. livelihoods on that. Right. On yeah, line. so there's a lot of money involved as well. Yeah. Um, this now, is a with no money involved here, I mean, we have a lot of secrecy around mushroom hunting spots. Too. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, my brother, you know, introduced me to some spots. And <laughs> I, I took a, a friend of mine up mushroom picking once. And he, uh -huh. he was somebody who would never go on his own. Okay. Ever. He so wouldn't he think was of safe. it. He it was, was just, yeah, it was just somebody who had, he heard I was going. He said, yeah. hey, I wouldn't mind going to see what you do. Yeah. So I thought, I'm not compromising the spot. It's okay. He's never going to go back. He's right. not even going to pay attention to where we are. Right, right. Which right, was, in right. fact, the case. Well, yeah. my brother was so upset with me oh. because I took someone to a spot that he gave me. And I wasn't supposed to. I didn't know there was even rules around it, but I wasn't uh, supposed to share I that spot with that. <laughs> anyone. And I mean, I understand it in a way because, well, if everybody hunts for mushrooms there, well, then there's going to be no more for me. Yeah, there's that. I think there's that. But I think it's also that no, it's not just that. Do you have time to go find more spots? I mean, you've narrowed down the place where you can be pretty sure on a, on a Wednesday afternoon, you've got two hours, you can go and get some mushrooms and come home. If you share that and the mushrooms are gone, it's not just that they're gone. You now have to find another spot. Well, exactly. Um, which the same people will want me to share. So I right. get that. And, right. you know, for something like, okay, for something like chanterelles in which they're fairly widespread is maybe one thing. But uh, for morels, which come out for a week and a half every year in yeah. very, very limited spots, I understand yeah. why people are, are very protective. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of uh, a photograph in a book that was written by the fellow who wrote Anatomy of a Murder, uh -huh. um, Robert Travers, yep. whose real name was John Volker. And uh, John Volker was also a fly fisherman of... Yes. Uh, of some renown and not only did he write an anatomy of a murder but he also wrote um the best book about fishing i've ever read which was trout madness um uh, and some other books including he worked with a life magazine photographer on a picture book um, called anatomy of a fisherman yeah. and there's one picture they have this fishing car which is like an old 
one of those old like modern old model t's or model a's or something like that it's like an old car and they they take it into the bush in the upper michigan peninsula and what it shows is they drive the car onto this little dirt road and one guy gets out and he's got a broom and he's sweeping the uh the tire tracks away so oh. it doesn't look like anyone's <laughs> driven in there yeah, of course it's perfect it's, it's the same kind of thing. You you protect your uh, well earned spots. Well, and I also something I thought think it was like just a little bit I saw on YouTube of three or four videos that were you know ex- excerpt from the film was it's not unlike the art world either. Um, you know, there's first of all I don't want to give away my secrets. Um, what how what makes me inspire? What what when I'm painting? No. I don't know if I want to, you know, give that away. And two, this exorbitant part where it has to be preserved by, um, you know, we can't have too many artists. We've got to only have this many artists to keep the art expensive, you know, so you can't, well, yes, of course. you don't, you could go, there's, there's enough art to go around. There's definitely enough art being made to go around, but we're holding back in the art world. So yes. We, it's this whole right. game of rarity. Rarity. Yeah. Now, how much of that is, you know, you've got this mountain region, Piedmont, in Italy, and how many how many spaces can you actually get of truffles? Then there are hundreds of dollars, and who's eating it? Some people are going to roll up their eyes to think you're such a snob because you want to eat this. It probably was totally a common. Um, it probably was it always in the elite that were eating truffles all these years for hundreds of years, or? Well, um, I imagine that 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 some of those farmers or. Uh, mountain folks who were living there and go out and capture those truffles, um, chop chop a few up on their own eggs. Too. <laughs> yeah, I would hope can. so. Don't don't get high on your own supply because you're cutting into your paycheck. But you know why is it like why? I mean, do you like truffles? You know, I can't tell you that I've ever eaten truffles. Oh, okay. Well, because like- usually they're at restaurants that are way far and away outside of my <laughs> snack bracket. Sure, but there's a whole bunch of places that do throw them in. They'll put a bit of truffles, truffle little, oil on French fries. Sometimes you get truffle oil, which yeah, is like which is like someone has taken a truffle and introduced it to a <laughs> bottle of oil. Bottle of oil, this is a truffle. Yeah. Now, now you go back to work. Well, in, in Connecticut on uh, Long Island, I should say Long Island Sound, uh, my friend Fusion, he's out there. And when I go, I'm like, I have to go to the to the beach and they have, you know, I love my beach food. And um, they have these French fries with truffle oil on them. And they're freaking amazing. And it does taste like truffles. Yeah, I've had truffles here and there. I am not going to lose my whole existence if I don't have a truffle ever again in my life, you know? I mean, they're good. But are they worth all the, like, I mean, they're good. Don't get me wrong. They're they're fine. But I just think it's, it's, yeah, is it worth all the hullabaloo? That's all the, the hullabaloo. I mean, I you know sometimes it's okay. You you rich people just keep it to yourself. Go but it's ahead. in a way we collectively make things rare and special. We decide yeah. they're you know yes it's it's super good and we decide well it's supernaturally good. Yeah, yeah. And then why do we have to have it that everybody has to eat it? It's like poutine in Chicago. You know what? It's not as good as poutine in in Canada. It's just not because they're not following the recipe properly. It gets lost in translation. Does everybody have to eat everything? Do we have to all use the same stuff? Yeah. Well, you get you get Nashville hot chicken at AW now. I know. I'm so scared at what it would be like. <laughs> 
Well, hot chicken in the first place, you're probably somebody I know who could eat it. I, I think it's too hot for me. So I, I don't eat it because I feel like I'm going to have a stomach ache and it's going to be too hot. I mean, you're lucky if you can eat fried chicken in general. Shouldn't eat it too much anyway, even though I love it and it's delicious. <laughs> I love fried chicken. Why does it have to be so bad for you? <laughs> well. But, you know, mushrooms, I love mushrooms. It's one of my favorite food groups. Um, that's why the Lord invented the air fryer. So you could have your fried chicken. I know. Without it being bad for you. Oh, I wonder. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I wonder too, actually. I wonder. <laughs> I, I wonder how good I wonder how much it tastes like fried chicken. And it's just like life, sometimes you just can't have everything. Isn't that okay? You're lucky you have your life. <laughs> yes, that's very true. And your passion and all of that jazz. But I do thought it was super charming. I will watch it when I can find it. I couldn't find it streaming, so it did look like an extremely interesting view into a different, a totally different world. And we'll put some of the available videos up on our, our Facebook. Uh, yeah, page. good idea. Good idea. Because I love that old man talking to the young guy. Just It just reminded me of the temple with the board of directors all fighting. Oh, we can pick a new minister. We can make it new. No, you have well, to follow the freaking I think that's very much part of the charm is that we see in this little microcosm of the universe in northern Italy, we see a model for behavior all over the planet. Correct. Correct. I think that is it. And really, you know, what do you have in Ontario? Well, you've got chanterelles. You've got, you can go fishing. You can pick ferns and, and what are those little fiddleheads or whatever. We have our little things that we can do. That's why I really have been fascinated for the last 10 years with Kentucky and Tennessee, really locking into their own locally grown, locally created recipes, sophisticated versions of their home cooking or elevated, if you will. Um, they're really, they've really, the, the, those states have really figured out for tourism, what kind of food and bourbon and everything to do that's helping their economy. And, and that's the trick. I mean, you know, so we need to not, maybe we don't need to be shipping truffles. Why can't we grow truffles here? Well, we do have truffles in Ontario. I know this oh. to be true, but okay. I understand that they aren't very interesting truffles. Oh, so they're not, because they're, they're strong. They have a strong flavor. Yeah, and I don't know what's wrong with our truffles here, particularly. I understand that out West, there are truffles that can be found um, near Douglas firs that are quite yummy. Oh. But um, I, we would have to find a, we'll have to track down a truffle expert to come on the show and tell us about where to find truffles in, uh, in North oh, America. It is so interesting because, you know, I guess obviously geography, climate influence the flavors. How much are they influencing them? You know? Yes. Why I mean, couldn't the, you take one of those spores and put them in, you know, Ontario? The, the other mushroom that's very, very popular throughout Italy is the porcini. Oh, which yeah. It's the little pig, right? Yeah. It's the, uh, it's the, the cap or the, the king. It has so many different names, Belitis edulis. Yes. Um, and it is uh, a mushroom who has the really curious characteristic of being better after it's been dried and reconstituted than when it's fresh. Isn't that yeah. a curious thing? It is. It is. I, I love that because I guess something happened that it, um, yeah, just the flavor just developed. So we have a Belitis edulis here. Oh. And 
there seems to be some question as to whether it actually is Belitis edulis or whether it's some subspecies, mm. but it's certainly uh, close enough, right? Tastes yummy, um, grows big. Mm. Uh, and here it grows under a certain kind of tree called a... <clears throat> yeah, don't tell us. Uh, and uh, you just find the you find the <clears throat> trees and yes. you find the, the mushrooms, no problem. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's funny because it really, I got really passionate and, and it's something I think about it's like, what is a tradition? And is it something you could write on a piece of paper? You know, that young guy wanted it to be written down on a piece of paper, like a formula and taking away all the art, all the mystery, all the practice, all the exploring out of it. You know, I mean, really yeah. that guy should have said, why don't you take a walk? <laughs> you you <laughs> know what this reminds me of? Yeah, it's it just popped into my head oh. now. The uh, the book, the uh, Master of Go, we talked oh, okay. about it on one of the early yes, podcasts sure. uh, by Kawabata, the story of uh, a Go match, an actual historic Go match that went on for a super crazy long time between an old man, the the uh, the undefeatable master, the invincible master against the young upstart, and yeah. the young upstart really really represents modern Japan and the old man, it represents the old traditions mm -hmm. of, of Japan. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's one of those traditions, as I recall, is that um, today in modern go, the uh, black, black is uh, black plays first and um, has an advantage over white. Mm -hmm. um, but if you were playing an invincible master old school, you would give the invincible master black. Oh, interesting. Whereas in, in modern go, the weaker player would take black. Interesting. Um, and it's because uh, of the tradition and the respect for the elders. Yeah. And that you've got to go, you have to do your own pilgrimage. You've got to get there on your own. It can't just be given to you. I mean, it's going to be given to you and revealed, but you've got to go through the, the protocol. And you know, the funny thing is, there's the other part of the flip side of this about respecting tradition is one of the reasons we don't want to respect tradition. You know, if it's in the United States, oh, well, throwing away taxes. We don't want to pay high taxes. We don't want an authority over us. And I mean, I have that in me too, where I don't, I don't want blind authority, a blind tradition that um, I'm suspicious of it because with the secrets being revealed or you're with well, a some master, traditions could be evil. Yes. And sometimes it could be a power play where you've got um, a, a minister or a preacher or a coach, uh, a hockey coach or someone. And because you're being initiated into the way of life, they're taking advantage of you. So there is that, or they're going to rip you off for money. I mean, there's so many levels of why we would want to be suspicious about tradition. Plus, what if we're doing it a, a, a poorer way than we could do it today? We could do it faster and quicker this way. So there's a, there's a fine line. There's a, you've got to do both. You have to be able to look at both ways. You've got to be able to not just say, oh, well, I'll accept anything you tell me. Fair. But you also got to be willing to be initiated to be guileless and and open and find your own path in that tradition <laughs> whatever about, it is um, 
being uh, initiated. Did you see God's favorite idiot? Oh, right. I, I Talking I have, about an initiation. I know. What an initiation. You know what? I think that's a delightful show. I'm not finished watching all the season, but I love it. And I mean, Melissa McCarthy is hilarious. Um, some of her lines and the way she's talking and she's just so decadent. It's hilarious. She's like, oh, I didn't do two lines of cocaine yesterday. Oh, wait, I did three. I mean, she's just so funny the way she delivers everything. And that's her husband who created the show. Yes. Yes, he created the show and has written the whole show. Yeah. Um, I, you know, there's a ridiculousness about it, which is charming. Yeah. You know, the ridiculousness is, uh, is in um, a kind of literal interpretation of Christianity um, such that we meet a figure called God and we meet angels who yeah. fly down with their wings yeah. They fly down and we meet a character named Satan who can shoot flames and burn shit. Yeah. And that's really kind of goofy. Uh, it's, it's charming and there's enough slapstick and Melissa McCarthy is so good at it, especially the slapstick stuff that it, it kept us watching the whole season. Okay. Um, but you know, I think it wasn't that good. I think it was that good. Well, you know what I look for in a show like that is really for me, what happens to me and it hasn't happened to me in that show yet. I don't know if it will by the end of the season. Um, and sometimes it doesn't happen in a first season. It happens in the second season is that the characters take on a life of their own that become very important to me, mm -hmm. like parks and rec Northern exposure. Yes, yes, yes uh barney miller and cheers just as sure. an example is what you want in a sitcom is you're right you you've got the the shtick with the god the devil all of that yeah stuff. And, and this is really like the office with supernatural beings yes yes and what you want though in the office you start to care about those characters you don't you love hate the bad guy you know how they're going to behave in every situation um but it's still a surprise that makes you laugh and you they're beloved so you do want the characters to become beloved. Yeah. And I don't know if this show's going to have a chance. I don't know if it'll get another season or not. Right. right. Uh, I mean, we'll, we'll see. There's lots of talent on, on the show. Um, you know, I thought it was starting to jump the shark. I don't know if you got to the part where the actual four horsemen of the apocalypse show up in no. a supermarket. No, but I have a theory <laughs> that that's that I my theory is, and we've talked about it on the show before, is there's no such thing as jumping the shark anymore because TV shows start out jumping the shark. Jumping the shark, right? Yeah, They've so jumped the that. shark in the first episode. There is no shark. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know if I'm right or wrong. I mean, you know, and, and I I think that that's probably that non-linear freeform committee style writing. Um you know, and I don't think this has a committee per se. It's probably, it's probably like you said, him and Melissa, she brings her own writing by adding to the character. And um, I mean, she's just brilliant. Um, they are so adorable. I, I hope it develops and becomes uh, a family I want to uh, hold on to forever. We'll see. The good things are the characters are a little bit endearing. Yes. Um, we like Melissa McCarthy no matter what she does because right. she's just delightful no matter she, what she does. She is. She and, is. Um, you, you know, know, it's a it's such a goofball premise, 
Yeah. Just for anyone who hasn't watched it, the show starts off with one of the workmates uh, who has this crush on Melissa McCarthy and has for a really long time, but won't say anything. And um, one day he gets hit by lightning. Right. And <laughs> that's his sort of his initiation. He gets yeah. hit by lightning and he wakes up and something's changed. Yeah. Um, for instance, he starts to glow. Yeah. And he, uh, I don't think he knows he's changed yet. No, he begins to get some awareness of his change right. and, and he meets an angel um, and the angel explains some things and he meets God and God explains some things and he has right. this vague idea that he's supposed to, you know, spread the good word, but he's yeah. not sure how to do it and he feels right. really inadequate and, and like that. And so it was, like I say, it was just good enough for us to get through the season. I didn't think it was great, but hey, maybe I'm just too, maybe I'm too advanced into crusty old farthood to appreciate uh, the, the delightfulness of it. Yeah. You know what? I wonder sometimes too, um, sometimes we watched a lot of these kind of shows on a weekly, yearly basis. So you've got that whole week where you're, you're, kind of feeding on the characters wondering about them your your friends at work are laughing about them there's an awful lot of that that can go on too when you competitive like compared to the new format of binging um you know miss lisa mccarthy is in a movie with sandra bullock oh yeah what yeah. movie is that uh what's it called i can't remember but they're they're both fbi agents you got to see it yeah, I'd like to see that. Yeah. Because you know I would watch anything with Sandra Bullock. I, I know you would. Hey, you know, when they introduced God uh, in the, in this series, I thought they miscast God. I thought God actually had to be played by, um, oh, what is the name of Morgan this actor? Morgan Freeman? No, 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 no. She was in The Americans. Oh. Uh, uh, Martindale, Margot Martindale oh, should right. have played God. Martindale? Should have been God. As soon as I saw this God, it's like, oh, they tried to get Margot Martindale, but she wasn't available. Oh, funny, funny. Or her her price point was too high. Yes, one or the other. Uh, (laughs) But I thought she would have been much better as God. Oh, interesting. Okay. You know, Alanis Morissette plays God in the movie Dogma. Oh, that's good. That's nice. Pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah, she had a popular album out. uh, True. One time. Yeah, yeah. She did. She most definitely did. Let's see. What else do I have? It down? was angry. It was an angry popular album, I think. Yeah, well, I told you. That's I, all I remember about it is how angry I, it was. It was very angry. And I told you, I'm sure on the podcast before, that we were in Nashville about three years ago, three and four, three and a half years ago, maybe, and with our friend Karen. And, and so we wanted to check out the gay bars and stags with us. And so we go to this place called the Lipstick Lounge, which is a fantastic bar in Nashville. And uh, we're hanging out. It's karaoke night. In fact, the real estate agent that was taking us around to look at houses was doing lip sync, um, was doing not lip sync karaoke. And she's a fantastic performer. She did boot scoot boogie. Um, anyways, uh, okay. at one point, someone does Alanis Morissette, you ought to know. And Stag is sitting there with all these women screaming the angry lyrics. And he slinks down in his chair and mimics <laughs> sneaking out of the building. <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah sorry for telling a story again but anyway um that that's a good memory but uh oh my god Alanis Morissette 
So I guess I could stop the uh, the job interviews on our uh, on our um, mailroom assistant uh, because I went into the I went into the email account uh, this morning and all we got were more offers for um, for new websites and SEO rankings and crap like that. Right, and right. where were the letters to the agents? I know. Well, I think we're going to get some soon. Man. Uh, I have spoken to a couple of listeners and they say all the time, oh, I went out for lunch with somebody who's listening to the podcast a lot uh, last week. And they're like, oh, God, every week I'm like, oh, I've got to write an email. I, I, I have something to add to that. And then life gets in the way and they don't do it. That's so, great. well, that's right it. Write that, write that email immediately. Right, you know who right. you are. You know who you are. <laughs> Go to your computer, write the darn email. Yeah, and um, that uh, just write it down while you're listening if you get a chance, and and come back and refer to it. We'll even and send it to theagency.podcast at gmail.com. We'll be waiting with bated breath. Thank you, and thanks for listening. See you next week. See ya.